Welcome to the latest edition of the Hoopstradamus podcast. I'm Adam Schellefer, joined by Gabriel Wilkins. And we're just about half an hour away from tip-off, so it will be a shorter episode uh, as the Blazers are going to take on the Grizzlies. We won't be talking about uh, that one too much. We will be talking about the rest of the Western Conference as playoff matchups have been decided. Gabe, how you doing today, man? I'm doing good, Adam. How about yourself? Living the dream, man. Happy to have you on. Happy to be talking some hoops. Uh, let's start with the latest news, and that is the firing of Alvin Gentry. No longer the shot caller uh, down in New Orleans. What are your thoughts? Well, truth be told, Adam, that was a move that I expected to go down and take place. Um, it had been a lot of rumblings about that prior to the league, you know, resuming this uh, season and going back into that bubble down in Orlando and you know he had a, a lot of things that went wrong throughout his tenure with guys being mm. injured and so forth and you know the cousins and Anthony Davis pairing not working out you know granted they got Zion with the number one pick and they added Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball in the trade in which they acquired those pieces you know in return for giving up Anthony Davis to the Lakers but it just was a lot of big what-ifs and situations that transpired that, you know, in the end, it just wasn't able to work out. I never really thought it was the best fit for him due to the personnel that was in New Orleans and the way that they were trying to play, knowing that he was always a big-time orchestrator and run-and-gun style offenses. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I I look forward to seeing what happens down in New Orleans in the future nonetheless because they they do have a bright one. But – Whoever, you know, gets that job, they're going to have to have Zion on speed dial, and so is uh, Brandon Ingram as well. So, you know, that, that's going to be a very interesting situation to see how it plays out. Yeah, I agree that I hope they find the right guy because it is really a pretty electric young core. Uh, Lonzo Ball has been kind of inconsistent, but at times has really shown flashes of uh, being a really good NBA point guard. He had a nice little stretch before things got shut down this year. Uh, Ingram has really emerged into the scoring machine he's capable of being. Zion, uh, you know, that's kind of a challenge for Gentry in itself, trying to work him into the rotation in limited minutes. At the end of the day, I think what it comes down to is you got to win ball games if you want to keep your job on the sidelines, and he just wasn't getting that done enough. So it'll be interesting. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he returns to the Bay uh, and helps Steve Kerr uh, when they get James Wiseman. Who knows? You know, that team's going to be re- reloaded next year. Uh, anyway, moving on into a little bit of this year, uh, let's just knock out the Memphis-Portland one. When you guys are listening to this, it'll be over. My prediction, Portland takes that. What do you think? I, I don't know today. I mean, Portland, I, my, the smart money's on Portland. All they need to do is just win one game. Right. However, I do think that John Morant will give them problems today. I saw a lot of holes within that defense. You know, the way Karis LeVert was able to exploit them, particularly in isolation sets. I mm-hmm. know that John Morant was watching that game firsthand. And Portland has had their fair share of struggles defensively throughout the season, in spite of Dame Lillard's greatness and Gary Trent Jr. stepping up. So I, I expect to see Ja have a big day. My only question is, in that game, will other guys around him be able to make shots? Will Dylan Brooks be able to step up in the absence of a Jaron Jackson Jr., who's proven to be a big loss for Memphis? Yeah. Brandon Clark, the young rookie, step up and, and make his presence on the pick-and-roll game. And also, will 
you know, guys off of that bench in Memphis find a way to step up as well. That That's really going to be the Achilles heel with them. They've struggled immensely down in the bubble. They've only won two out of their last eight games down mm-hmm. there. You know, but, you know, you, you got a shot in the play-in game. All you need to do is just take it one game at a time. And if you win one game today, you earn the right to play tomorrow afternoon yeah. in the winner-take-all game. So I know Ja's going to be, you know, amped up and excited for that. And he's not just going to seek to settle for a presumptive Rookie of the Year award that seems to be yeah. his already. That's that's true. I, I look at that Memphis team, and I think someday that's a dog. Right now, I think it's a puppy. You know, <laughs> like they got a bunch of really good pieces there. Uh, I love Dylan Brooks. Grayson Allen has been sensational in the bubble. This is the best basketball play we've ever seen from Grayson Allen. And so uh, that's been crucial and could be a really important element uh, going forward. Dylan Brooks has been quietly really good all season. Uh, I love the future of Jaron Jackson. I want to see him do a little bit more rebounding, but that's just everything you want other than rebounding in a modern big with his ability to drive, uh, guard the low post, guard on the perimeter. He's a really good three-point shooter. Uh, I think the commonality I see with all these young guys, and then it becomes the collective identity of the team is inconsistency. You know, on any given night, you could see a team that is showing the potential of how good this team's going to be in two, three years, or showing that, hey, these guys are all super young, uh, you know, rookies, maybe third-year guys. I think regardless of who wins that one, they're obviously going to have their work cut out for the uh, uh, cut out for them against the Los Angeles Lakers. And maybe that's where we can shift the conversation. Which team do you think has a better chance? I think Portland might just be able to pull it off. I don't think Memphis has a chance. I, I think between the, the two teams that are vying for the spot to play the Lakers in the first round, Portland by far has the best chance. Look at the mm-hmm. way Damian Lillard has been playing. Insane. You know, and he's shooting like 13 threes a game. That's exactly. not an accident. And he gives you a chance, you know, with his ability to go out there and get 50 balls left and right you know, make things happen in a pick and roll. Gary Trent Jr. has by far been the biggest beneficiary today. You know, Mm -hmm. knock it down, catch and shoot triples. And he's a guy you can tell that he wasn't on most teams scouting reports prior to the bubble. He stepped up big time in the absence of Trevor Ariza uh, down there. You know, knocking down, has to be knocking down over 50% of his triples from beyond the arc. You know, he's been shooting red hot. And then Carmelo Anthony's been stepping up with timely buckets late in games in the final five minutes, you know, in clutch time. And if they can get those guys to just play solid defense and Joseph Nurkic is able to give them a big load offensively inside against Anthony Davis, in spite of, you know, losing his grandmother, unfortunately, to the coronavirus. Right. You know, if he's able to find a way to weather that storm personally and, and go out there and ball, they, they have a strong chance, you know, out of those two teams between them and Memphis to take on L.A. And it shall be a competitive series that those teams meet. Yeah. I, I think it's very interesting. You look at Anthony Davis, obviously, this is the best power forward in the world. You can call him a center, call him a power forward. He's probably the best big man in the world. But Hassan Whiteside has been a tremendous shot blocker since he kind of broke out in Miami a few years ago, and he still has that ability. And then you have the two twin towers, if you will, I mean, you can't really call them Twin Towers because they don't play on the floor a ton together. 
But sometimes, you know, and, and it'll be interesting if they kind of try to do that, but you have two really good shot blockers, two really good low post defenders against a team that likes to drive and a team that likes to get Davis going out there. Uh, I think it's kind of weird to look at the Lakers, and these guys are just role players, but I think they're really missing the uh, presence of Avery Bradley and Rajon Rondo because those are dudes who you're going to put on Damian Lillard or C.J. McCollum and just be like, go annoy them, go harass them, don't let them breathe. And those are guys who are – that's how they've made their bread in the NBA, by being that guy. Uh, Rondo, obviously a really good passer too, and kind of their second unit point guard. And so when I look at the Lakers, I see a beatable team, still a team that could certainly win the NBA championship, but they're missing some key pieces. And I think that they're a little more fragile than they were when things were still going on in March. Without a doubt. And when I look at all the teams that LeBron James has led to the finals, you know, which has been eight out of the last nine years, he's typically had a guard that he could kick the rock out to that is capable of creating his own shot off the dribble mm-hmm. and making things happen within the pick and roll game or isolation game to give him a break, if you will. Well, now in L.A., he doesn't have that. And I think for the first time in his career at the age of 35, you're going to see a LeBron James that has to be the primary ball handler and playmaker on the team in order to win a championship. And that's going to be the most intriguing factor in this bubble involving the Lakers. You know, you talked about how Bradley has been a big loss defensively. That that's that's a that's that's the truth. And on top of that, not only just defensively, but also as a catch and shoot three point guy. Yeah. Um he, he's proven to be a big time player in playoffs mm-hmm. and as well as Rondo and you can't never have enough veterans on your team during this time of year with the gold ball on the line. Yeah. I, I remember uh <laughs> when Avery Bradley was on that Celtics team and we were in uh, Adam Rittenberg's class and you know, I was extremely high on Avery Bradley. I think I've come back down to earth at that time or since that time. But uh, I mean, the guy's a really good two way player. Uh, he's a really good basketball player. It's a shame. He's not out there. Uh, let's save. Cause it is going to be very interesting if, and when the Lakers advance, let's save some of those storylines for when that happens, because, that's a whole – that's Pandora's box, if you will, because then we start talking about legacy. We start talking about the accomplishments. This guy just led the NBA in assists, which is a Magic Johnson uh, type accomplishment for 23, looking a lot like 32. But keeping it in the West and moving on into a different series, one that I certainly have my eye on and we'll have uh, – friend of the program, Andrea Urban, on from Salt Lake City to talk about this one tomorrow. Denver against Utah. Denver against Utah. That That's a series, you know, despite Denver sweeping the season series, this matchup could be much closer than a lot of people expect. You know, yeah. but in their three matchups against Utah during the regular season, the Nuggets won a combined they, – uh, they won all the matchups by combined 11 points, with each matchup being decided by six points or less. And the thing that I'm most interested in seeing in this series is the battle between the big men, mm-hmm. Rudy Gobert against Nikola Jokic. Now, yeah. during those matchups, Gobert held Jokic to under 50% shooting from the field, which is something that if you're Quinn Snyder in the Utah Jazz, you would gladly accept and take. However, not only 
does he have to be big on the defensive end in this best of seven series against the Nuggets? He also has to come through on the offensive end, particularly mm-hmm. in the pick and roll. And yeah. I'm interested to see how Utah's offense fares without him in the lineup as well because their bench has been depleted all mm-hmm. year long and the absence of Bogdanovich I think will prove to be very costly in this series. I Utah may agree. have the best all-around player in Donovan Mitchell, but can he step up, you know, in the playoffs? He's been streaky in, in, in playoffs past through his first two years, uh, been hot and cold shooting the ball. He's a guy that plays a lot off a of rhythm. So when he's hot, he's hot. When he's cold, he's cold. So I'm, I'm interested just to see how Utah fares with such a depleted roster that's going to be dependent upon their two leading stars, Gobert and Mitchell, to take down a Denver team that has a ton of depth. A ton and, of depth. And is capable of hanging in any type of game with any team when they have their guys clicking. Yeah, well said. I think you honestly pretty much hit on everything I wanted to, especially Bogdanovich, who they're totally missing his presence. And you think back to the game in November against the Milwaukee Bucks. Who's hitting the game winner? Bogey. And uh, Mike Conley has played a lot better since uh, the the restart. It's like we're finally seeing old Mike Conley back to his old ways, which is nice. But I think the difference here is just a lack of depth because Utah, it's a very good build, but it's kind of a fragile build, right? And when you're losing one of those outside shooters, no disrespect to Royce O'Neal, but it's not Bogdanovich. And uh, Joe Ingles is out there, you know, messing around, getting triple doubles or flirting with triple doubles. That's awesome. But, I mean, you look at Denver on the other side of this coin and they're just as versatile and a lot more deep. And now that Jamal Murray is healthy, I think that it gives them the ability to kind of do their bread and butter type work, which is – that high screen off Jokic, and then it's a pick and whatever. It's it's kind of a pick and read. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's uh, like Jokic goes on the roll and then he'll kick it back out to a wide open Murray when Murray's defender comes in to collapse and help on Jokic. Uh, sometimes it's kind of a like pick and pop where Jokic is going to take that three. You see them create so much off of that, and Murray wasn't playing at the beginning of – the bubble, obviously he's, obviously he's healthy now. Then you have the emergence of Michael Porter Jr., who I'm going to uh, talk about a little bit later on. That's a little foreshadowing. Uh, but this is a team with a ton of depth, a ton of teeth, and uh, the versatility that Jeremy Grant brings to the table as well, being somebody who can guard You know, when they're playing the Clippers. He's the one that they're putting on Kawhi Leonard, and rightfully so. And so having that kind of defensive versatility, Utah's a really good team, but I just don't think that they have what it takes to uh, take down this Nuggets team that's kind of had their number. Even though Gobert does do a really good job on Jokic and always has, I think the Nuggets got their number. I'm going Nuggets in six on this one. Me personally, I'm, I'm going to go Nuggets in five. And I'm Even glad better. that you brought up Jeremy Grant because Jeremy Grant is another option that they can throw onto Donovan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. You know, should they need to switch our pick and rolls and and he's a long body. He's he's been able to play solid defense for mostly his entire career. He found himself in Oklahoma City. 
and he's expounded upon his game even more in Denver, knocking down the three ball at a high clip. He's going to be a guy that's going to get paid some nice money this offseason, especially in a league where you can never have enough solid 3 and D wings who are capable of knocking down catch and shoot jump shots on top of taking on the assignment of guarding the opposing team's best player. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of the uh, one they call Kawhi, that's going to be a very fun series between the Clippers and a team that has two guys who average 30 and 10 in the bubble, 30 points and 10 rebounds. That's Kristaps Porzingis, who led the Mavs in scoring in the bubble, and Luka Doncic, who is the undisputed leader of that team, and someone who might have a bit of a chip on his shoulder being left out of the finalist uh, category for the league's MVP. That's one – that's must-watch television. That is appointment television. I think the Clippers are going to win that series. I'll get that out of the way right now. But what are you looking forward to? What are your thoughts and impressions going into it? Well, I have three things that I'm looking forward to in this series, Adam, and I, I have more questions than anything. My first question is, can the Clippers find their roster continuity and okay. chemistry in time enough to make a deep playoff run? You know, most teams have spent their time in this bubble – trying to get reaccumulated. Coaches seeking to get their playoff rotation together. The Clippers have dealt with so many injuries to key guys and missed time due to an array of personal matters. You know, mm. we, we know about the Lou Will situation in Magic City. We know about Montrez Harrell and the unfortunate passing of his grandmother prior to these games, these seeding games, you know, resuming. And that's left head coach Doc Rivers in a tough spot to make some major decisions in regards to whom he can trust with the game on the line from a rotation standpoint, who do he call upon? And that's that's going to be a big key and something that he's going to have to find out, you know, over the next 24 to 72 hours once the playoffs begin. Yeah. My second question, you know, is Luka Doncic ready for the NBA playoff stage? You know, we've seen what this guy is capable of doing on a nightly basis, averaging 30 and a half, nine and a half rebounds, and, and a one and a half blocks down in the bubble, shooting about 49% from the field on top of 37% from deep down in Orlando over his last five outings. Now is that way time. Up, by the yeah, way. way up. And now now is the time, you know, for him to do it up against two of the best wing defenders and Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, yeah. who we know will will take on the assignment of guarding him very personally and, and seeking to throw the kitchen sink at him mm-hmm. and, and, a, and a variety of options. Granted, Porzingis will be there to help him and that's a guy who stepped up his game um immensely down down there in Orlando, being yeah. more aggressive, attacking the bucket, getting to the free throw line. That's what they're going to need. But Luka, he's the guy that's must-see TV in this series. And then last but not least, can the Clippers find a way to do what is necessary to manage all the expectations that was placed among them in the preseason? You know, this right. is the highest seed, the second seed, the highest seed in Clippers franchise history since the playoffs expanded. And, you know, in the minutes throughout the year, when they played in the regular season, the Clippers outscored the Mavs by 38 points in the 103 minutes when Kawhi Leonard was on the floor. Dallas was a plus five in the 41 minutes that Leonard went off to the bench. Wow. Now, they didn't stagger Paul George and Kawhi's minutes that much um, where they were taking turns, you know, playing off of one another. But I think they will do that in this best of seven series. And should they be able to do that, this Clippers team might prove to be too dominant for Dallas, and this could be a series that's rather over quick. Interesting, interesting. And when you say over quickly, how quick? I'm going with the Clippers in five games. Okay. Granted, I do think that the Mavericks 
are, are a great team. They do have one of the best offenses that we've seen in recent memory. But what I need to see from Dallas is who's going to step up and be that third scoring mm-hmm. option behind Luka and Porzingis. Tim Hardaway yeah. Jr., we know, is a guy that's capable of getting a bucket on his own. Trey Burke has stepped up as well. However, we have to see these guys do it in the playoffs. And yeah. they're going to need a secondary ball handling playmaker at times when Luka is double. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be up to the other guys. Like I said, THJ, uh, Trey Burke, uh, Seth, Seth Curry. Curry. Yeah, yeah. you know, th- those guys are going to have to step up and make some, some big-time plays. I think the absence of Dwight Powell, as I said on the earlier show with you prior to the season resuming, that's going to prove to be a huge loss yep. in, in, in this series, especially with the Clippers having those bigs down inside, such as Zubac and, and Harold. Um, I, I think at the end, the Clippers just have too much depth and yep. firepower and, and, a, and, a, and a Kawhi that's going to be on a mission. You know, don't let his yep. quietness fool you um, to, to prove why he is indeed one of the top players in all of basketball. Once again, hitting the nail on the head, man. I am going with the Clippers in six. I do think that the Mavs, I mean, they don't have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, right? Uh, They don't have as much firepower, if you will. But as far as depth goes, they're right there. Uh, I mean, beyond Luka and Chris Stapps, you just have a lot of really good role players Uh, Those guys are going to need to step up, though, and a lot of those guys don't really have that kind of playoff experience, while the Clippers, even if they don't have a ton of experience altogether because it's a lot of new guys and different fits, uh, they have some some dogs, you know what I mean? Some dudes who have been around the block, some dudes who uh, know what the playoffs are all about, and so I think that experience level is going to wind up being crucial. But I wouldn't rule out Dallas kind of – I don't think they really have much of a chance to win the series, but I think they can make an extremely interesting series because, I mean, they're they're very deep. They shoot the ball well. Uh, Chris Stapps Porzingis is such a great complement to Luka Doncic, and they are starting to really develop some tremendous chemistry knowing where each other are. And uh, I don't think that – the Clippers necessarily have someone who, if I'm them, I wouldn't feel great about anyone on my team guarding Porzingis. You got some guys who can guard Luka, but who's going to guard Porzingis? And so I think he's actually the X factor in this series. They're going to send the dogs on Luka. How can he get uh, the unicorn involved? Because if they do somehow win this series, it's because Porzingis is putting up some – sort of like 35 and 14 stat line. You know what I mean? I agree with you. However, I also think that those other guys are going to have to come through. Like THJ, Tim Hardaway Jr., he's going to have to be a guy that when he gets the rock in his hands, he's making things happen. Trey Burke, same applies to him. And that bench as a whole is going to have to step up. Dorian Finney Smith, you know, the the starting wing. They're going to have to get some contributions from the others. I'm not as worried about Luka and – and Chris Stapp's getting their numbers. I know they're going to do damage. And I know offensively, you know, if they're hitting shots, it, it could be anybody's game and anybody's night. You know, that's that's a contagious feeling in basketball. So yeah. when I when I look at Dallas, I'm not saying because I have them losing in five games that these games won't be close, these games won't be exciting. I definitely think that these games will be fun to watch. However, just down the stretch and, and, and 
as the games approach money time, I think we're going to start to see the difference between experience versus inexperience. And if it's something I know about Dallas, just watching them personally in a lot of games throughout this season because they're in the same division as the Houston Rockets, the team I've covered for the last several years now. This is a team that when they get big leads, they typically have a bad habit of blowing them. Yeah. They turnovers. They trouble down, down the stretch. They have stretch. troubles yeah. in overtime. They have trouble exactly. when it gets hot. <laughs> yeah. And that's where Kawhi does not. <laughs> that's exactly. where Paul George does not. So mm-hmm. that, that could be the difference between the series. Uh, so, you know, I called the Memphis Grizzlies puppies earlier, you know. Well, these guys are like, you know, somewhere between puppies and dogs. You know what I mean? Because they, they do have some teeth to them, for sure. And they're scary. They're a lot scarier than the Grizzlies. And you know that I'm all in on their future. And when you look at a guy like, I mean, Luka Doncic is doing Magic Johnson, Larry Bird type things with the basketball in his hands. I think he has a, a really, really bright future in this league. His time's not here yet, though. And they probably need one more guy, uh, that third option, because I don't think it's Tim Hardaway Jr. So it's going to be a matter of who wants to go play with Chris Stapps and Luka and, you know, try to win a championship, but that's all down in the future because that's not happening in Orlando, not this year, not against the Clippers, man. But now we can head to your specialty, even without their PowerPoint, as I call him, even without Russell Westbrook. And that is just such a shame, man, that you don't have Westbrook against OKC because that storyline is just Disney perfect. But, man – can the Rockets win this series without Westbrook, or is this just going to be OKC? What's going on here? This is an anomaly to me. This is going to be a fun series. As we already know, like you, you summed it up perfectly well, this is a, a Disney-type storyline. You know, you got guys who are former running mates in Oklahoma City that come together to reunite the team up in Houston. Going up against a guy, Chris Paul, who was formerly in Houston over the last mm-hmm. couple of years and is licking at his chops, you know, to get revenge on his former mates. But I, I do think that the Rockets can find a way to weather the storm if three things in particular happen. If Eric Gordon steps up for one, you know, this is a guy who only played like 31, 32 games this year, has been battling through injuries, but he's lost some weight and he's looking real slim and trim, you know, over these last couple of games that he was able to get in prior to the uh, regular season coming to a close, getting attacking a basket, you know, being a sturdy and strong defender in the post. If they could get him to knock down shots from the perimeter and he could prove to be the secondary playmaker that he's been capable of doing so over the last three postseasons, then I think that they can hold the fort and weather the storm. Another guy that must step up for, for Houston is Ben McLemore. Now, this is the guy who's proven to be a, a, a good lottery reclamation project down in Houston. He shot the ball tremendously well from three-point range on the season, averaged a career high around 10.1 or 10.2 points per game. They're going to need him to step up in the minutes that he has as a catch-and-shoot specialist, knocking down shots that are created off of driving kicks by James Harden and company. And then Austin Rivers. Because at the end of the day, this series is all going to come down to guard play. And with the Rockets seeking to play a small ball brand type of basketball that was designed and catered towards Russ style and skill set of attacking a basket, they're going to need their guards to step up and create – Shots for the likes of a Rob Covington, a P.J. Tucker, mm-hmm. 
mm -hmm. a Jeff Green. And if they're able to do that and convert at a high rate, and they're able to create deflections on a defensive end, which leads to them running the floor, and Oklahoma City has one of the worst transition defenses in the league, then that can spell problems for Billy Donovan. And really his good staff. point. Really good point there. Yeah, because, I mean, that's that's the bread and butter, right? Uh, if, if those of you listening haven't checked it out, uh, Leo Coleman on our squad did a really nice job breaking it down. He, he did a video on the, the five-out offense that the Rockets run, and it just creates so many mismatches in that driving dish is really dangerous. And here's the key for the Thunder. Don't turn over the basketball. Because when the Rockets win, it's certainly not because they're winning the battle on the glass. It's because they're getting 15 steals. They're forcing 22 turnovers. They're getting out and running. Uh, I think that missing Russell Westbrook is just such a problem because he's honestly their best rebounder. That's true. You know, and so that's already a weak rebounding team. But when you don't have your best rebounder and your best passer, it's going to create a different dynamic. And, uh, I mean, shoot, you look at the Thunder, and CP3 is the, the face of that team, right? But I think the most dangerous man on the floor for them is SGA. And I think uh, Gilgis Alexander, I mean, I'm trying – can't remember who the game was, but he had a horrible first half a couple weeks ago and then just came out guns a-blazing in uh, the, second, the second half there. And that's a dude who can just go get you a bucket. Uh, the Thunder are a very well-balanced team. They pour, play more of a traditional style of ball. Uh, I just wish Westbrook was healthy because I do got to go with OKC in seven here. Uh, if Westbrook was healthy, I would go Rockets in five. I think he makes that kind of difference. I can understand why people want to go with Thunder right now. They, they're they a very hot team, and they're one of the top defensive teams in the bubble. Yeah. No no question about it. They, and with Roberson being healthy again for the first time since, like, the Cold War era or whatever, I mean, <laughs> that's huge for them. That's just somebody you can go say, all right, give give James Harden some trouble, you know? And they have multiple guys they can throw on the James. However, I mean, I, I know a lot of people who are close to James. I know a lot of guys who worked with James down in the bubble, man. And I can tell you right now, that guy's motivated. That guy's eager. He's playing out of his mind, man. And, 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 and he wants to, you know, put an end to all this chatter and this talk that's going on about him not being able to close out games in the playoffs. I really think that this is going to be the first time that we see a 50-point game in the playoffs from James Harden. He's well-rested. He's eager to, met, you know, to, to get back out there and, and prove what he's able to do at a high level in the playoffs. He's, he's been in tip-top shape, you know, lost weight. I, when, I look at, when I look at this Houston team, it's crazy. Like, they, they can either be a team that loses it in the first round, make a deep playoff run, if not win at all. Mm -hmm. And I don't see Westbrook missing this entire series. Okay. If they're able just to weather the storm just through the first two games and get a split, I think that's something they'll take. I, I think Westbrook returns by the time game three rolls around. I think the Rockets take this in six games, man. Um, they, okay. know, they know that this is a big-time series. And if they don't win this series, 
they're going to go into this offseason with a lot of questions, and yep. it's going to be a lot of changes. Might that be a different season. coach on the sidelines if they don't get out of the first round. Yeah. We could be talking about Matt, Mike D'Antoni coaching the Pelicans. Yeah. <laughs> That's mean, true. And that could be a good fit. <laughs> you know, another guy who likes to run. Yeah. Uh, so that, that could be crazy. That could be very fun. I agree with you. If Westbrook is back, Houston is far and away the better team, and they will dissect the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. But that is everything because, you know, Batman needs his Robin, you know. <laughs> but maybe, maybe this is more of like a, a Batman and Superman thing. They're both, like, extremely dangerous. No disrespect to Robin. But, <laughs> I mean, those guys, it took a while for the identity to come together. And it seemed like Westbrook had to get to a point where he was a little bit more assertive within that system. But when they got there, the lights kind of came on for Houston. Uh, Westbrook started putting – started kind of looking like that team's MVP. But both those guys are extremely valuable. And, uh, you know, if there is an MVP on that team, I just want to say it's definitely James Harden. But both those guys, I mean, that's everything they do. That's everything they do. Uh, it goes through one of those two dudes. And you can't have the five out without those guys who can consistently slash through the defense like a soft cheese, find the open man, get to the free throw line. Uh, what's amazing about the Houston Rockets, just, just their ability to shoot in volume and slow down the game while they speed it up. What I mean by that is – they're slowing down the game by getting fouled every 14 seconds or whatever, you know, but they're also speeding it up by playing a breakneck speed. And so it's very hard for teams to just match. I know this is the how you win the game, right? Just to match the number of points they're able to put up on the board. That sounds like the most obvious thing in the world, but when you're able to both speed up the game and slow it down, that's a great way to – uh, just score in a hurry. And so I think with those two guys, Oklahoma City doesn't they, – they can't sniff that. You and know? to add to your point on that, Adam, last year the Rockets finished 27th in pace. This really? year – and this goes to show you the Westbrook effect. They're top five in the league in pace. If I'm not mistaken, they, they're number two overall last time I checked. Wow. That's all the byproduct of Russell Westbrook, his ability to get to the rim – and play at that break breakneck speed, as you mentioned, on top of that, setting up guys for easy buckets, including himself, and getting to that charity strike. He is the heartbeat of the team. I will say I've watched every game um, down in Houston this season, and, including in the bubble, and they do go as he goes. Granted, Harden is the leader by the in the face, but Russell is the guy that makes things click. And when he's going, it's a different type of vibe around that team. I will say that. And that is something I've noticed over the last several games they played without him. So now going into the final part of this episode, NBA is doing it. We decided we do it too. I think we got the idea before the NBA said they were doing it. <laughs> but we were, we were talking about doing an all-bubble team. Uh, so we, all, we each have an all-bubble first team and an all-bubble second team. Uh, let's let's save the best for last. Let's start with that second team. Who you got? So for my second team, at the guard spot, I got to go with Luka Doncic. This guy's okay. been playing out his mind. I know a lot of people think that he should be a first-team selection. 
However, I know the Mavs, you know, they had their struggles down the bubble. They went three and five. But nevertheless, he's a guy that's deserving of being on an all-bubble team. This guy does it all, man. Points, you know, getting the rebounds, making plays happen in the pick-and-roll game. I call him Harden 2.0. He's on another level at 20 years old. You don't see a lot of guys able to master the league in, in, in the guard spot as quickly as he has through his yeah. first two seasons. At the other guard spot, I have Karis LeVert. This is a guy who's averaged over 25 points a game down the bubble, shot uh, at least 46 to 48% from the field on a night-to-night basis, and has proven that although he is the third option in Brooklyn when Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant will return to the floor, that he can be a number one option if you call upon his name to do so. Um, the forward, at my forward spots, I got Michael Porter Jr. This guy mm-hmm. has arguably, to me, been the most improved player out of all the first and second year players at the bubble. You know, he shot 54 for 98 from the field through seven seeding games for them. That's 55% from the field. He's made things happen within the Florida offense. Nothing seems forced with his game. He's getting shots. He's getting buckets, cutting to the rim, posting up on smaller assignments. And he's also being active and engaged defensively. And my my other four spot, I got a guy that most people probably – never cared to watch throughout this time in the bubble. And that was Thomas Bryant from the Wizards. And he he really averaged 18.6 points per game, 8.9 rebounds, two blocks, shot 50% from the field, over 40% from three. This was my preseason pick this year to win most improved player of the year. He didn't get that close, but I think with a healthy John Wall returning on the nation's capital next year, alongside of Bradley Bill, with him in the fold, Man, they're going to be a fun offense to watch. They were already a nice offensive team to watch this season. Very good offensive but, team. But I, yeah, great offensive team. But I, I think with Bryant, if he's able to stay healthy, this is a team that can maybe, potentially, if they add a couple more pieces, challenge for a center for AC next year out east. And then yep. in my center spot, I have Jared Allen, another second, okay. a third, a guy, uh, another young player, rather, who really made improvements and strides down in the bubble. Averaged a double-double, but most importantly, what impressed me the most with him, he averaged 4.2 assists per game. And while those numbers might be inflated, that's an important stat to me because when Kyrie Irving comes back, he's going to be a guy that gets doubled a lot. And he's with, with Jared Allen being a guy who's a center that's kind of limited and not able to put that ball on the deck and shoot, he's going to have to be able to kick it out to shooters on the move when he, when he has the ball in his hands. So by showing that he's able to do that at a high level, it what it, what it really left on me is that he's a guy who could go from being a guy who maybe was a below average passer to an elite level one someday if he takes the time and effort to work on his game, and which is what he did when he was out there. So that's my second team. Okay. So I went, I went a little nuts here on my teams. By, by that, I, I mean, normally – you know from doing shows with me over the years, putting teams together, I like to stick with positions. I kind of broke my rules a little bit. I guess I did like backcourt, frontcourt, you know what I mean? Uh, and with the second team, so much of it for me was like there's a there's two guys in there who are already very much established. But the, the other three uh, I think are coming out and making a statement with their game. Believe it or not, <laughs> my, my point guard is Derek White of the San Antonio Spurs. And so White came out on a mission, put up some really impressive stat lines throughout the bubble. 
in uh, really was the Spurs' best or second-best player throughout. His high, as far as uh, scoring goes, was 24 points against the Utah Jazz, a very efficient game where he went 8 of 15 from the field, 4 of 9 from 3. Uh, only had one turnover, six rebounds, four assists. He's been way more aggressive, and that's really shown. He struggled recently against the Houston Rockets, uh, but this is a guy who's had a very impressive bubble run. I'm, I'm sorry, his, his high was actually against the Kings when he had uh, 26, eight points uh, and, and five assists, uh, but uh, also five turnovers in that game. But this guy's been shooting the lights out. He looks like he might be that next Popovich guy to come out of nowhere. This is a guy uh, just a few years in the league, kind of showed some promise against the Nuggets in round one uh, last year. Maybe it's just because I'm covering – uh, CU buffs out here. I've had a closer eye on him. I've had to write some stuff on him. I've had to keep keep my eye on him. But he really is uh, impressing the hell out of me. And so I gave him the nod there. Now, my, uh, my wings, if you will, are going to be Michael Porter Jr. You said it all, man. This is a guy who needed an opportunity because yeah. people forget that this was the number one recruit in the country for a reason. And people forget that people were comparing him to Kevin Durant. And he showed why. This guy is a freak athlete. He is a matchup nightmare. I don't know if he's going to be Kevin Durant, but he can at least be a very good Richard Lewis. You know what I mean? This is a guy who can play the three or the four. He is when he gets his shot going early, when he knocks down the three in particular, dude, you're in for a long night. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter who's guarding him. You know, like, they're, sure, put Kawhi on him, whatever, put the clamps on him. You can slow him down. But this is a guy who's good enough to score on anyone if he has his confidence. And we just we started to see him get some of his confidence it was not a good scenario for the Nuggets to be missing so many players, and uh, they're still really missing Will Barton. But this is a best-case scenario for Michael Porter Jr.'s personal development to get some chances to uh, get extended minutes and kind of have that long leash. And even though he's got some defense to work on, he's starting to earn the trust of Coach Malone. And uh, Coach Malone's doing a great job with him challenging him to get better on that end of the floor as well. Now, my other uh, wing is a dude who's, you know, we've said enough about this guy. He has the highest plus minus uh, of anyone in the bubble. The dude just wins. His name's Kawhi. He's good. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't need to say anything more. If you're listening to this podcast, you know how good Kawhi Leonard is. See, and he's continued to be that good. Uh, then my my power forward, if you will, is Chris Stapps-Brzingis. He averaged uh, 30 points and 10 rebounds, right around there anyway. Uh, maybe it was like closer to 31 points. Don't have the stats right in front of me. But the dude has been huge for the Mavs. And, uh, you know, when he left the Knicks, I feel like maybe people's stock on him went down a little bit. But he's a much better player on the Mavs because he's in a better situation. And you saw flashes of brilliance from him when Luka went out. And now that they are playing together 
and playing so well. I think they just, like I said earlier, they're just complimentary pieces. And to round out my second team, it's Yusuf Nurkic, man. This guy is the third best player on the Trailblazers. And I think one thing that people don't give this guy enough credit for, you look at the best big men in the NBA right now, and something that's really common is a lot of these guys are really good passers. So these are the only eight games that Nurkic has played all year, which makes it very impressive when you can come in after having not played in over a year and average 18 points, 10 rebounds, four assists, two steals, and one and a half blocks. Or I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry, I, I got those last ones mixed up. Two blocks and one and a half steals. So, I mean, the dude is an all-around really, really good center. He is a modern, old-school center. By that, I mean he can do everything that you would ask your center to do in the 90s, but he can also do everything else. And if the Blazers do somehow upset the Los Angeles Lakers, and we'll see. Right now they're you know probably tipping off, missing the beginning of that one right now. Uh, but it's going to be because Nurkic is – a top five center in this league. I think he is. And I think he uh, is going to continue to prove that as long as he can stay healthy. I'm glad you brought up Nurkic. Cause if I had a comeback bubble um, player award, he would be the first candidate for it. He returned with a vengeance and, yeah. and it has been impressive to watch him in these last eight games, especially as you mentioned, cause he was a guy that was slated to come back before the pandemic hit. And mm. to be able to keep your body in shape and be a professional and, and, and come back and return and, and produce at the level that he has at a time in which his team needed him to. Yeah. Um, it says a lot about him. Yeah. He makes Lillard and McCollum better. And I think that's what's so key. Uh, it, it just makes the defense focus on something else, uh, creates a dynamic where you can do kind of an inside-outside game, and uh, just a bully. A bully down low. The Bosnian bully, as they call him. Uh, all right. Let's round up this podcast with some first teams, and then let's get out of here. We got basketball to watch. Yes, sir. First team uh, at the center spot. I know he was a guy you had on your second team, but I had to give a nod for first team, and that's Chris Dasporzingas. Nice. To me, out of all the stars, he was the most improved one. 30 points, nine and a half rebounds, two assists, block and a half per game. He was arguably the most aggressive Big, I saw at both ends of the floor, attacking the basket, getting easy buckets, getting to the free throw line. That's what the game is all about. And what impressed me, if you got us in the numbers, he was the only big man outside of Giannis, I think, in the bubble to finish in the top 10 in scoring. And, you know, that, that says a lot about, you know, his improvement and taking that next step. I, I never doubted Porzingis as a player, but his aggressiveness was always something to me that was lacking. I got a chance to see that in Orlando, and I think as a result, he deserves to be on that first team. Um, at the four spot, I got to go with T.J. Warren. Yeah, this guy was was doing things on a on a on a level where it was kind of a little bit reminiscent of Michael watching him play, getting into the mid range game, a not forcing anything. Yeah, you know, and, and he he's worked his behind off, man. Like getting on seventeen mile bike rides back home in North Carolina. Um, Indiana has been a great fit for him. And with the loss of Sabonis in that rotation and Oladipo being in and out, they needed a guy who could just go out there 
and flat out get a bucket. And granted, he had some games where he was slowed down against Phoenix and Miami in that anticipated showdown between him and Jimmy, which we will see out east in these playoffs. Yes, we will. To be continued. So, but, you know, nonetheless, he, he, he showed up and showed out. And that performance against Ben Simmons, where he dropped 53 against Philadelphia, to me that was the biggest highlight um, individual performance outside of all the ones that Dame has went on in the last week to help catapult Portland to the playoff race out west. But I, I picked three guards for my first team. And I have to start with my guards. I, and my guards, but I got James Harden. Mm-hmm. You know, to come back and average 35.3 points, 8.7 assists, 9.2 rebounds, this guy does it all, man. He's the first player since Iverson to lead the league in total points and total steals in the same season. Incredible. He's the first player, first player since Jordan to average 34 points per game over two consecutive seasons. He's the first player since Kevin Durant to win three straight scoring titles. It, it, it's nothing that this man can't do. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm watching him improve as a defender each and every night. I was just going to say, really guy, turning into a good defender. Yeah, he, he wants it. He wants it. And, and, and it's only a matter of time, I feel like, until he gets that elusive title that I know he's desperately covering. He, he will get one. I think uh, one thing I've come to respect more about Harden this season and I guess gradually over the last few years is this guy is a basketball genius. You know, like a lot of people will say, like a lot of his game is gimmicky. He, he gets the foul line. He kind of flops a little bit. It works. And he's crafty as they come. Yeah. You know, just look at what he did against Giannis down the stretch in this bubble. Yeah. And and, and he did it in the All-Star game, too. A lot of people forget about that. But in my other guard spot, I got Damian Lillard. You know, it, it. It, what more can I say about this guy? When, when his team has needed him, he's responded in a major way yeah. on every level. You know, getting a clutch steal late against Brooklyn, hitting the big-time shots against Dallas, getting that luck lucky bounce you call it luck but I call it skill you know when you got it like that and you able to pull up as deep as he is on a night-to-night basis and and, and take on defenses and pick and roll and you got teams trying to funnel you and run boxing one sets and play two three zones that says a lot about your skill set to me and my, my bubble MVP can't forget him a guy that to me needs no introduction but I think to the world he did and I think he introduced himself quite well and that's Devin Booker Mm -hmm. you know the average 36 and 5 and showcase a a profound game you know everybody thinks that you know he just scores off of threes and in isolation plays man he showed versatility to me being able to get things done in the pick and roll game using his mid-range to set up various counters and knock down shots including his teammates for open buckets That was a team I really wish could have gotten a shot to play in one of these play-in games or something, man. Mm. That Phoenix team was very fun to watch down this bubble, and they grew. Didn't lose. Yeah, didn't lose. He's my MVP, too. (laughs) So I'll I'll start with him. Yeah, if you are doing that on a team that doesn't lose, you are the best player on the best team in this microcosm. Uh, I mean, what more can you say that you haven't already said? Uh, absolutely stellar. I, I told you I broke all the rules here, so I went, <laughs> I went, you know, front court, back court here. But in all honesty, the only guy who's like truly spending all his time on my roster, this little five man roster, uh, is T.J. Warren. You you already mentioned him. 
I think that Jimmy Butler clash earlier in the season made him a better basketball player. I think it lit a fire under his ass, and I think we're seeing the result of that fire now, and I'm so excited that we have that in uh, the first round out east. But the rest of the team, so I got Devin Booker, TJ Warren, Damian Lillard. I mean, come on, man. Come on. This guy's, this guy's breaking the game. Uh, James Harden and Luka Doncic. So we, we've already talked about all those guys. There's not really much more that can be said. Doncic uh, averaging a triple-double or just under, I mean, just putting up insane numbers. Uh, James Harden is, I mean, looking like the best defensive player on the floor, best offensive player on the floor almost every game he's in. And it's hard, it's crazy for me to be talking about his defense that way, but that's that's uh, how, how good he's been. And the Rockets – Forcing so, so many turnovers, it's uh, quintessential to what they do. Uh, Damian Lillard looks like he wants to win the championship. Damian Lillard doesn't care if you don't think they have a chance to beat the Lakers. He doesn't care if I don't think, which I do think they have a chance to beat the Lakers. Dame does not care. Dame is going to go out there and try to prove you wrong. That's what he does best. And if you don't pick him up at half court, He's going to make you regret it. This guy's taking 13 threes a game. He's shooting at a very high clip. I'll tell you the exact numbers right now. Yeah, all right, here we go. Damian Lillard. So he's taking 13 threes a game. He's shooting 44%. That's unheard of. This guy, like, I don't know what the Lakers are going to do. People are going to talk about, oh, Portland's defense. What are they going to do against the Lakers? No, 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 no. What are the Lakers going to do against Portland? Equally valid. It's going to be fun. Uh, and so, I mean, you, you just can't say enough about what Dame's done. I'm ex- excited to see what else he does. Uh, and, and then, I mean, I, I guess that's it, man. Like, D-Book, you, you can't not give the MVP to him. Uh, but to, to wrap it all up, I love that we have two Mavericks and two Blazers on, on these teams, or at least mine here, with, with Nurkic and, and Lillard. Uh, and then Chris Stapps and Luca, because it just goes to show that we're going to have a very, very interesting playoffs because those, both those teams are underdogs going into their series. But all bets are off. You know, this is – I think March Madness is just coming in August, and it's coming at the professional ranks. We're going to see chaos, and I'm very excited for the next round to come around because we're going to have to do this again and continue to break down the Western Conference. This has been a fun one, man. Thank you. Not a problem anytime. It's it's definitely always cool to talk about Western Conference basketball. Just when you think the conference is kind of depleting, it always proves you wrong. It's hard to make it out there. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, And, yeah, give us a like on uh, Instagram. I want to give a shout out to the Wax Cowboy, Evan Butris. He he made our logo for us. Uh, You can see his work at the Wax Cowboy on Instagram. And uh, yeah, he's been great for us. We got some cool shirts. You can't see us. It's a podcast, but I'm wearing mine right now. Super comfy. Uh, Anyway, it's been a real one. Uh, Gabe, I'll talk to you soon. And everybody, you'll hear me next time. You'll hear us next time. Keep on hooping.